Greenside, the IGA podcast. Also, Mike McCoy, the 2013 USA. Johnson, now a two-time major champion after becoming the winner of the 144th Open Championship. All right, welcome to Greenside, the IGA podcast. Clint Brown here with you. Got guest Riley Schmidt. You might remember Riley was an intern with the IGA couple years 2019 and 2020 Riley how are you I'm great Clint thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast been an active greenside listener since day one and excited to be with you well I appreciate that uh, I guess before we we dive in what uh, what have you been up to since maybe some of the the listeners have, have seen you last absolutely recently graduated from Iowa State University where I earned a bachelor and master of finance degree and back living in central Iowa, working at Principal Financial Group and playing golf whenever I get the chance. There you go. I like to, I like to hear that. Um, Riley, I understand, and I, I knew this a little bit about you during your internship, but maybe more so since you've left, uh, just your your fascination and, and interest in the golf architecture side of things, as well as playing. But uh, where did that start? Maybe kind of what are your kind of your early memories of of kind of that for you. Absolutely. I appreciate the question, Clint. And really something that sparked my interest in it was spending time in the library at the Iowa Golf Association. Had the opportunity to read The Spirit of St. Andrews by Alistair McKenzie and Scotland's Gift Golf by Charles Blair McDonald, two pioneers in the golf course architecture field. And that really inspired me to be more thoughtful as, as I was playing golf to observe different architectural features of the course and its surroundings and uh, really sparked an interest in the history of it as well. Um, Another formative experience for me was playing at Wakanda Club. I had the opportunity to participate in a program they had during high school where I could join through their advanced youth golf membership program. And that allowed me to have dependent play privileges at the club and Wakanda was unlike any other course I'd seen at the time, and its golden age architectural features really stood out to me and caused me to question why they were there and what strategic value they had in terms of competitive golf and really how the course was routed and different than anything I'd seen up until that point. And so I had the opportunity through working with Aaron Kruger, the head golf professional there, to get Uh, my hands on the original maps of the course and really see um, how it was laid out back in 1922. And uh, recently with Tyler Ray and the work their restoration crew has been doing to really bring that original design back to life, really excited um, to see that come next spring. Well, I was just going to say with the, with the changes, you know, on the horizon and and well underway, obviously at Wakanda, it's going to be pretty exciting to, uh, to see that transformation and kind of back to, you know, how it was, I'll say. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Right. So you've, you've traveled a little bit and, and, and kind of been a lot of different places. Um, if you want to just kind of maybe touch on some of those experiences and maybe where you've been this summer and and maybe some of the other highlights that uh, of courses that you've been to and and things that you've you know I guess you've witnessed at these at these other uh, facilities. I've been really fortunate in my young golfing life to have walked a lot of really historic fairways and uh, played where many of the greats have. Uh, 
really the pinnacle of that was going with my grandfather over to Scotland where we got to play St. Andrews and King's Barnes, which for a fan of golf architecture and history, it doesn't get any better. Uh, and really exploring the old course and all of its nuances was really formative from an architectural standpoint. In addition to that, I've been really privileged to play a lot of great architecture in the U.S. as well. Um, I've had the privilege to play Prairie Dunes in Kansas and Southern Hills in Oklahoma, which are two of Perry Maxwell's best courses. Um, if listeners are interested in experiencing Perry Maxwell's work, they can go to Vinker and Ames, a public course at Iowa State University. And so I think it's really great that we have that architectural heritage here in Iowa as well. Um, I've also been really fortunate to play a lot of Donald Ross courses up in the Detroit area, I've been able to play at Oakland Hills, which is a really esteemed club that's held several major championships over the years. I've also been able to play Ross courses in Ohio and Minnesota and really see the variety of his work based on uh, the different lands that he was provided to work with. Um, so over the summer, I, I was out in Canton, Ohio, home of the National Football Hall of Fame, got to play Brookside Country Club, which is a Ross design back from the early 1900s and has some of the most wild green complexes that you'll ever see. Um, the slopes of the greens that uh, might not have been built had greens been running at 10 or 11 on the stip meter back in the early 1900s. Really neat site. Uh, also had the opportunity to see Columbus Country Club, which is another Ross design while I was out in Ohio. And Really a beautiful landscape routed along a stunning ridge, um, reminiscent to Cedar Rapids Country Club for our Iowa listeners. That was a really neat opportunity. Um, also had the opportunity to play uh, Donald Ross course in the Minneapolis area in Wyzetta called Wood Hill Country Club, which has held some USGA qualifiers in the past and is really an untouched Donald Ross course that um, hasn't been modified over time. And they're looking at some potential restoration efforts to bring that course back to its original glory. Um, so it'll be exciting to follow, see what what happens up there in Minnesota. Riley, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you kind of review something. So the Brookside course, and if I if I remember this right, because we talked about it, the Brookside course course you played that's a different Brookside than what's used in kind of the U.S. Open qualifying. Correct? There's actually a a couple Brooksides that aren't too far from each other. Yes, that's correct, Clint. Ohio has a first world problem of having a lot of great golf, and two of them happen to be named Brookside Country Club. Okay. The one near Columbus is what hosts the U.S. Open sectional qualifying every year, and the one that I played in Canton is a Ross course. Uh, they're both excellent courses. I, I haven't been able to play the one uh, near Columbus yet, but uh, correct, they are two different courses. Okay. Okay. What, um, and, and this can go kind of any way you'd like it, but, um, who are some of your favorite, I guess, architects, not only to, to learn about and read about, but also just to, to experience and, and play their courses. Great question, Clint. The first one that comes to mind is Perry Maxwell, who's from, uh, Oklahoma and was a banker in his first career and golf course architecture, which was his second career, which I find to be really interesting. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, he did Prairie Dunes, Southern Hills, um, is credited with doing some work at Augusta National, 
Vinker here in Ames um, and really some of the most prestigious clubs in the United States and the world. Uh, and what really stands out about Maxwell's courses is the internal contours of his greens. You are not home safe. If you hit the green in regulation, you really have to be thoughtful about your pace and your uh, direction on the putting greens uh, and where you are. Um, you want to be below the hole and uh, you really want to be paying attention when you're putting on Maxwell greens. And then really how his courses also uh, fit into the landscape uh, back in the early 1900s when these courses were being built. Many of Maxwell's were during the Great Depression era, so they didn't have abundant resources to move land. So he really worked with his teams to optimize the land that they were given and to make strategic and architecturally compelling golf. Riley, is there a, is there an architect that maybe you've you've come across or that you've read about that maybe maybe a lot of people don't know about that maybe either have an interesting story or have kind of connected with you? And if, if not, that's okay. But I was just curious about that. Uh, an architectural group that I've recently been learning about has been King Collins Golf Design. Uh, so I recently read a book um, called The Secret Home of Golf, and it's about Sweetens Cove Golf Club in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, uh, an hour and a half south of Nashville. Uh, so that's an architecture firm uh, where they were working to get up and running following the great financial crisis in 2008. So they overcame a lot of obstacles uh, in order to get off the ground and stay afloat. And Sweetens Cove is their first design. And it was a, it's the nine hole course that's been featured in the New York times and several other publications. And recently they've opened Landman golf club, which is just across uh, the river in Nebraska, uh, not far from Sioux city. Um, and their architectural work is really bold and they move a lot of ground, but um, they also stay true to the spirit and principles of the game of golf and it's really just a lot of fun to play their courses and uh, well worth learning about and checking out for our listeners. Riley, you you kind of summarize the the Maxwell courses and kind of what you see from them, but maybe from for some of our listeners who obviously have heard of these architects, but maybe don't completely understand or and or appreciate, you know, each each architect. I want to say kind of has their niche. You want to just talk about that a little bit? Maybe pick out you know four or five or three or four architects and kind of things that they're known for or things that, you know, Hey, that, okay. I know this is a Ross course or, or a Bendelo or, or, you know, et cetera. Absolutely. Clint. I think that's a great question. And I'm still learning about architecture every day. And it wasn't that long ago that I had very little knowledge and was looking to acquire that same information. I think the easiest to recognize would be the features of Charles Blair McDonald and Seth Rayner. A lot of their work was in the northeast part of the United States, but they're famous for replicating what are referred to as template holes, which are famous holes from Scotland and Europe that they've implemented at courses and sites here in the United States. And there are several architectural uh, resources online that can teach you about each of the different template holes, but uh, it's a great way. Uh, if you're interested in getting into architecture to learn about some of the basic design principles um, through learning about Charles Blair McDonald and Seth Rayner. And then with some of the other architects, it's more subtle. 
Um, so for example, with Donald Ross courses, um, there's a theme of high points at several of them where you'll tee off from a higher point and then you'll play through the valleys uh, on your approach shot. And then you might return to a higher point at the green. And some of that was also simply for practical drainage purposes uh, back when these courses were built so that they could keep the tees and the greens playable during times of rain. It was before all the technology that's been developed today. Um, but those are some features that you might find in Ross designs. Um, and then also close to home is William Langford and Wakanda Club, as well as a few other courses in the state, such as Oneota up in Decorah. Sure. Um, so they were famous for some more bold features around the greens. Um, listeners who've been out to Wakanda Club to watch the Principal Charity Classic or have played the course know that there are several, several blind shots and uh, really dramatic slopes from tee to green. There aren't a lot of flat lies out there. Um, and there are also a lot of contours within the greens. Um, so you have to be thoughtful about where you, where you are. Um, so those are a couple themes and architects that listeners can look for. Riley, kind of piggybacking on the, the Wakanda project, is there a hole or maybe a couple holes that you're maybe most excited about to, to see to kind of to come to fruition um, as they as it used to be? Yes, absolutely. I had the great fortune of being able to walk the course a few weeks ago and observe the changes. And what changes stood out for me the most, uh, one was between the eighth hole and the 10th hole. They now have a shared fairway, mm -hmm. uh, which has really opened up the playing corridors, especially on your tee shot on the 10th hole. Um, previously, there wasn't a lot of space for you to land your ball. Uh, so many shots were would be well struck and end up in the rough on the right side and be a blind shot um, with a long iron to the green. And it was a really difficult hole. Um, and it will still be challenging, but with all that fairway now opened up on the right-hand side, I think it'll help speed up pace of play and really keep things moving along. Uh, as well as on the 12th hole, that short par four, they've restored. There's now a large bunker that goes all around the green. Um, so it's reminiscent of an island green almost, surrounded by sand, which I think is a really cool, dramatic feature. And then another key takeaway from walking around Wakanda was how thoughtful they were about improving the experience for golfers from the forward tees. So they've moved several of those tees forward and removed a lot of blind shots off the tee. So uh, golfers aren't necessarily hitting directly up a hill and they can't see what's in front of them. So I think it'll really help speed up pace of play and improve the experience for everyone out there. Right, you've been to a been to a number of places and facilities now throughout the country. Do you kind of have a list of of courses that you want to get to, you know, in the in the near future, or is it more of you just kind of as things come available, you kind of you know take advantage of those, or is it a mix? It's a mix of both. Sure, um, I've received a lot of recommendations from golfers here in Iowa, and so I'm happy to share a few that I still have on my list here. I've heard great things about Prairie Knolls down in New Sharon, uh, as well as Whispering Creek in Sioux City, Oneota up in Decorah, Bentree and Council Bluffs, Crow Valley and Bettendorf and Beaver Hills and Cedar Falls, to name a few. And then in addition to the architecture and um, really the scenery of the courses, I'm also interested in 
some novelty things. Like I've heard of courses in Wellman and Humiston yeah. that have sand green still, which yeah. I think from a historical perspective is uh, really interesting and hope to check those out next summer. Right. What What's the story at Prairie Knolls? And the reason I ask is back in my younger days when I lived in Pella, I used to sneak over to Prairie Knolls. So I've played that hundreds of times. And one of our good friends that plays a lot, Trent Lindemann, he's a member down there. So I'm kind of curious if you if you have some notes or got some inside info there on, I'm curious about Prairie Knolls. Oh, Clint, I didn't know that. Okay. You're the one to nope. ask. I've nope. seen pictures on Twitter and I've heard really wonderful pieces of feedback and yeah, just need to make it down there and yeah, get it's, for myself. It's a neat, it's a nine hole course. Um, but it's got some it's got some character to it. So I was just not to put you on the spot, but I was just curious um maybe what the what the story was there and a lot of those other courses. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great courses that you got you got mentioned. Um talk to me about the people you've met um along the way, because obviously I'm I'm sure that's kind of part of the part of the story too, isn't it? You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that's been the highlight of every golf trip that I've ever taken. It's been a privilege to be able to play on some of the best golf courses in the state, in the U.S. and in the world. But really, I, I truly think that I've gotten to interact with some of the world's best people and really generous people that have taken me under their wing and been exceptionally kind. And uh, I've really learned a lot from the people that I've met. Uh, I think really the best way to kind of help share this is uh, this past weekend, I was down in St. Louis for a festival and a concert and uh, reached out to my social media network to see if there was anyone that was interested in playing and uh, met up yesterday with a middle school English teacher, with a real estate attorney and with a healthcare professional. And first time meeting all of them and we all left as great friends. And I think uh, that's one of the really neat things about the game of golf is that you can go to the course or the club near you and play with people that you haven't met before. And it's a really great way to build relationships with new people or family and friends. Riley, before I let you go and I'm, you know, you know me well enough, I'm kind of a logo guy. So are you, are you picking up a little <laughs> swag at these places you're going? You picking up a, a lid or a, you know, a jacket or something just, or well, what's your go-to, I guess, in the pro shop, if you, if you are doing that after the round. That's a great question, Clint. I would say that I was more, active in picking up merchandise and logo apparel early on, but I've played more than 150 courses now and that starts to add up and uh, <laughs> you know, the hats start to pile up in the yeah, closet. And, I get it. I uh, get it. You have to make some tough decisions there. So now I, I do collect logo balls from time to time or um, it depends where I am. And, um, but sometimes it might be a pencil or occasionally sure. a shirt. Um, sure. I've been working on kind of revamping my head covers. And so picking up a few of those as time has gone on, but yeah, uh, for the, sure. logo, the logos are fun to follow. Are you, uh, are you keeping scorecards from everybody everywhere you fight? I'm not keeping no? scorecards okay. from everywhere. Okay. I've kept them from a few rounds, but uh, yeah. I've just been trying to enjoy the walk and remember the good shots and discard the bad ones. There you go. Those good ones keep you coming back. Don't they? Absolutely. Well, Riley, before I let you go, if if somebody's out there listening and, you know, maybe is interested in, you know, in architecture or maybe is kind of like you kind of starting out and kind of trying to figure it all out, give, give me some advice for, for those that are, are maybe interested. Absolutely. The first thing that I would do is 
look up the free online resources on the internet. Uh, the Fried Egg is a media publication that's been really uh, formative in teaching me about architecture. So I'd highly recommend their content. And there are others that produce a lot of resources if you're interested in learning more about golf course architecture or courses. Uh, there are a number of books as well that you can find on the subject that uh, will help really round out your education. But I think the best way to learn is to go and play. Go walk if you can and experience. And uh, there's no better way than having your own feet on the ground to learn about golf course architecture. That's awesome. Well, Riley, I uh, appreciate you taking some time uh, to come on the podcast. Uh, happy holidays to you and your, your family. And uh, look forward to seeing you down the trail. Thank you, Clint. Look forward to teeing it up with you soon. Yeah, let's do it.